Hey everybody, it's Mark Robison. I am the candidate for North Carolina's State Senate District number 39, and I am getting ready to start a brand new series of podcasts. I'm calling them The Elephant in the Room. We're going to discuss a lot of things that it seems like either nobody wants to talk about, or maybe they've just forgotten that it's happening and they need to talk about it. Uh, And so that's what we're going to do. And today, the very first podcast, I am going to talk about energy. Everybody, it's if you're going to the gas station and you're putting gas in your car, guess what? You're thinking about energy. And it seems to me like we need to start looking at something other than this abandonment of fossil fuels like we are getting from Washington right now. Uh, Fossil fuels are dirty, they have carbon, and we probably need a plan. The plan is not ready, fire, aim, get out. So that is what we're going to talk about today. I am very pleased to have my very first guest ever, Jay Dauenhauer. Jay uh, is has his actually his own podcast. It's an energy cast, and he's been in the uh, energy industry for how long have you been in, Jay? Uh, I would say about 17, 18 years at so, this point, Mark. Okay, great. Well, you know, Jay uh, is going to be able to weigh in a little bit on... Um, you know, the future of energy and maybe even a little bit of the past of energy. And uh, Jay, I do see that you are wearing uh, your Duke Energy shirt today. And uh, I don't know if you got to see how they donated here recently in our (laughs) Charlotte City election, but it seems like maybe they uh, might fall on the left a little bit. Yeah, yeah. well, let's let's start. Yeah, way way to start start easy here. Uh, (laughs) um, No, that's great. Look, Mark, it it, it was very interesting to see the Charlotte Observer reported. They got the financial, I get, what is it, the the reporting that all the candidates have to come up with. Absolutely. And it showed, uh, the Charlotte Observer brought this up, that a a, a large number of Duke Energy's executives donated, maxed out their donations, and I think the max donation is, what, $1,000? Right, right to these to these uh, city council candidates. Yeah, uh, particularly V. Lyles, I think, is who mm-hmm. they brought it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, V. Lyles has a challenger, uh, Stephanie De Chago Bilbao, uh, who faced off with against V, and it showed that several of the uh, the the Duke Energy execs maxed out their contributions to V. Lyles. Well, there was another candidate there, and. I, I that is strange. I think to people who who observe this sort of thing, because look, uh, you can as a private citizen, if you're Lynn Good, their CEO, or any of those folks, I guess you can donate your 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 contributions to anyone. Oh, and sure. That may have been what it was. Just they just in their hearts felt that okay. he was a better person. But it seemed like it was like all of them, <laughs> all of them. Yeah, and and not, I think they the collective donations that they gave. V. Lyles was more than I think Stephanie, the, her V. Lyles' challenger's entire war chest. Right? Oh my goodness! Um, it's, so it's, basically, and, and again, I, I guess I'm just looking at energy. It's a very. Uh, I don't think it used to be quite as political as it is now, but it is very charged uh, with politics. And I think just what happened in the city council election is a good example of that. It, it would seem that way, you know, and, and also 
it's funny because I used to work at Duke Energy. I did transmission. I worked in, uh, you know, the, the the substations and all the overhead power lines, the high voltage mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way I think I actually came to get to know people like you, Mark, is in 2020, I got to oversee all of the substation upgrades for what would have been the 2020 Republican National Convention in Charlotte. What would have this been? isn't me doing this as the <laughs> podcast host. This is me doing it as my day job. Right. And uh, one of the things that I found from doing that, Mark, was that, you know, uh, when we tried, when they were going to move the event to Jacksonville is, you know, we were doing a lot of upgrades, a lot of very expensive upgrades around uptown Charlotte. Uh And I was like, hey, let's reach out to the county party and try to find out uh, who we need to talk to. Because when you move stuff to Jacksonville, for instance, uh, there's a lot of infrastructure upgrades that they haven't done. So it made a lot more sense to do it in Charlotte. So uh, when I couldn't get a hold of anybody in the county party that was hosting the event, um, I personally, I wanted to get involved to kind of make it where, okay, if any layperson wants to find out more about what's going on with, you know, one political party or another, in this case, uh-huh. the GOP in Mecklenburg, they need to be able to find it. Um, now, hey, when it gets to all these donations, I wanted to just bring this up as well. Again, one of the things when I worked at Duke was every quarter without fail that we would get these emails and they would say... Um, there are going to be protesters at the headquarters, at the corporate headquarters downtown. Maybe you need to go use this back entrance not to be in danger. And sure enough, every quarter there are protests at Duke Energy about one of their, you know, most likely it's environmental groups and whatever, upset about something that Duke is doing. And, you know, here's a company that has probably put more solar in the ground as a state. I mean, west of the, I'm sorry, east of the Mississippi, North Carolina probably puts more, does more solar than anybody else. They have the second largest fleet of nuclear plants. They've announced a net zero, uh, I guess you call it a carbon neutral uh, initiative by 2050, where they're not producing any net positive carbon dioxide in their whole fleet of power plants. And they've announced a 70% reduction in CO2 by 2030. 30, which is in only eight years. So it sounds like that they have this great vision and the same vision that I guess politicians in Washington do. Uh, I don't know how it would happen so quickly, but um, you do mention, you know, the carbon footprint. The carbon right. is the problem. Um, and I believe, and I, and I know that uh, you can you come to Charlotte by way of Texas. And I actually yes. spent some time in Texas, about three years in Texas mm-hmm. myself. And it is the energy capital of America. And, no doubt. Um, I, I think, uh, and I, I think I read that you were the director uh, for a carbon capture trade association out in Texas. And I, I gotta, I gotta ask you. I've, I've heard a lot about carbon credits and all of those. What is carbon capture? Yeah. So um, I think when I first got interested in energy around 2005, this was when gas prices were going up, you know, mm-hmm. and we were worried about it being almost two dollars, right? God forbid, um, right? <laughs> I, I knew that I, wa- I knew that energy was changing, Mark, and I, mm-hmm. I wanted to, you know, be a part of whatever was coming next and you know we've seen all the differences in, in how our energy where our energy comes from in, in those years uh, so just kind of early on getting into the energy sector uh, I was involved in something called the 
TXU buyout of 2007. TXU was a big utility. Yeah, They right. got bought by Colbert, Kravis & Roberts, a big private equity fund for $45 billion in 2007. At the time, it was the largest private equity deal in the history of finance. And that revolved a lot about TXU's decision to, they wanted to build a bunch of coal plants at the time. And then this buyers came through and they kind of came in like the white hat Mm-hmm. you know, cowboys, and said, we're not going to build all these coal plants. We're only going to build three new coal plants, uh-huh. right? So, <laughs> um, so they, but they came off like heroes because t- Big Bad TXU wanted to build all these, you know, 11 coal plants, I think it was. And then uh, from there, I got approached by a, a, a carbon capture and storage association. I was getting my MBA, and I guess they figured that I was cheap enough and maybe well-educated enough or, you know, to uh, to, to do it. And uh, and it was really cool. I, it was an association with several large utilities, including TXU, uh, a lot of coal companies like Peabody at the time, mm-hmm. uh, railroads and all that. And <clears throat> what we were trying to do was pass legislati- legislation to give um, tax incentives in Austin uh, for carbon capture and storage. And what that would be is that if a coal plant wanted to capture all of the CO2 in their coal plants and inject them underground, it's a process called sequestration, uh, we would give them tax incentives to help, you know, foster that technology. Okay. And that's pretty safe. You know, you give them tax breaks and things like that. Uh, In Texas, there was really something that was very popular that was being considered, which is you you don't necessarily inject the CO2 into what's called underground aquifers that are like two or three miles down, you would inject it into depleted oil wells and you could actually recover some of that oil, that strand oh, of oil. Oh, wow. Okay. And it's called enhanced oil recovery. And so it was kind of popular with both the greens and, um, you know, the business community right. because here you're ba- actually able to monetize mm-hmm. CO2 and at the same time, essentially sequester it. And so, uh, there was a plant in, uh, Houston called NRG's Petronova that actually did that. They captured okay. CO2 from a coal plant and would pipe the CO2 pipe the CO2 over to an oil field. And uh, we think that that's probably the best way to, to, to economically monetize if you really want to do something about CO2. Wow. Okay. Well, let me let me fly up at about thirty thousand feet because <laughs> I want to I want to kind of look at, at what's happening today. I mean, oil and gas. You know, obviously we just talked about the price of gas has gone straight through the roof. It's Seems like it's it's uh, moved down just a little bit here at the end of July of 2022, um, but it also feels like it's getting ready to spike back up. Uh, if you if you do any charting of uh, the price of oil and and uh, supply and demand, uh, our administration in Washington has done a great job of just about shutting down oil and gas. And of course, you mentioned coal, and mm-hmm. of course that yeah. is definitely a four letter word. So. <laughs> It seems like not only the Biden administration, but also um, Governor Cooper, uh, they almost seem obsessed with windmills and solar power. Now, you mentioned North Carolina is one of the best uh, states in the country. I mean, we got sunshine, solar energy is wonderful, but... um, I, I just in some brief reading I've done, it seems like if we uh, maxed out wind and solar as much as it could possibly go, it would only, you know, fill about 20, 25 percent of our actual needs for energy. Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong about that. It, it, does that sound about right? You talk to engineers, Mark, I think that a lot of them believe that 
you can really only have a certain percentage of renewables, which are what we call intermittent, right? Okay. The whole thing they always say with the sun doesn't shine, the wind doesn't blow. Yep. You can't call on solar. You can't call off right. wind, right? Um, currently, this is the latest figures. I'm showing Mark a, a little pie chart here. This is the latest numbers from 2021. We had a full picture of what the year looked like. And this was power source this was how much power was produced <clears throat> by all these different families of um, electrical generation, right? This looks like, now I come from the financial services industry, and this looks this is a pie chart, and it looks a little bit like a portfolio. Yeah, you know, in other it's exactly. Words, it's a portfolio. Yeah, exactly. So natural gas, 38%, nuclear, 19%, coal and uh, coke. Yeah, yeah, it's petroleum coke. They'll use a, 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 okay. a petroleum byproduct sometimes and burn it in coal plants. Mm -hmm. um, there's a facility in Louisiana that's actually going to do a carbon capture project uh, that burns petroleum coke. So we we collectively just kind of call that coal. So you're right, 38 natural gas, 19 uh, nuclear, and 22% coal, let's call it. Mm -hmm. But look at these other ones. I mean, this is solar. This is how much generation solar pumped out in 2021. It was it was 4%. Is this America for the whole country? Yeah, that's, that's, that's the entire country. So, so right now, solar is only producing 4% of power generation for the United States. Yeah, yeah. And, wow. and, and so, okay. um, and, and if you looked at, and that's interesting because <clears throat> if you looked up 10 years ago, mm -hmm. um, there's an interesting little tidbit. I mean, solar's really been an interesting, I mean, it, it's had quite a lot of growth because 10 years ago, there was nothing. There was no solar. It was 0.1%. So it's good to have it in the portfolio. Yeah, and, 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 and let's not make any, everyone's like, oh, 4%, that's so low, but mm -hmm. it's, it's grown it's from growing. zero oh, 10 years ago. That's huge. Um, so, yeah. so, so solar, and I don't see wind on here. Well, that's what other renewables is. Okay. That's 11, and that's probably, uh, other renewables is 11%. That's how the Energy Information Administration okay. calls it. 11% uh, is probably wind and geothermal, right? So wind, geothermal, solar, about 15% of the power generation of the of the United States. And, um, and hydroelectric. And, and I hydro think hydroelectric kind of is the is the stepchild, right, if you will. Right. Of, uh, no one likes hydroelectric, um, even though it's renewable and it's very reliable, right? You know, mm -hmm. you really can do know when hydroelectric, you can call it on and call it off. But you add 11 I love doing numbers over a podcast, right? But hang with us, folks. The 11 for wind, the 4 for solar, the 6 for hydroelectric is your 20%. I got you. Okay, this makes sense. So, uh, th so this is kind of a breakdown of where we are today. And if I'm not mistaken, the Biden administration would like to make solar and wind the entire pie chart. Or maybe I'm, am I just exaggerating? Because when I hear messages from the White House, it seems like that's what's going to power America in 2050. Well, they want to do it today. I think it, it, it sounds almost like they want it today. So, so uh, you got to build it. <laughs> the analogy I have thought about is, you know, about a year ago, um, we all knew, I think every American knew we needed to leave Afghanistan. So sure. it's time to move the troops out. Let's begin working it down. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, President Biden got in and 
It was ready, fire, aim. We're out. We left, and we left $80 billion of stuff behind, and the Taliban took over. Well, it seems to me that this abandonment of fossil fuels is something we all agree on. Not an abandonment, but hey, let's let's ratchet this down. Let's have a plan. And instead, he got out his manual from leaving Afghanistan and said, oh, no, we're leaving now. Yeah. Out. And... Um, Natural gas just passed $9. I've never seen it that high in my life. Um, you know, of course, we're paying $5 at the, ta- at the, at the uh, gas station. So I'm looking around thinking, okay, uh, I've heard a lot of things about what it takes to build solar panels and what it takes to uh, build windmills. And a lot of those pieces and parts come from China. Why, why is nuclear still looked down upon and why is it only 20% of a portfolio and I'm not a big fan of the French (laughs) but don't they get about 80% of their power generation from nuclear? You're right. Yeah, about France um, they do get 70% of just you know, the, the the portfolio okay. is nuclear. Now you compare that to the nineteen percent we have. Uh, France will also uh, what they call reprocess, recycle. Oh, okay. They're spent nuclear fuel, and so what happens is is basically you know the the, the depleted fuel rods, right? Yeah. Uh, that goes in in the United States. That just goes into these big uh, concrete casks and sits on site. Off right from the nuclear plant on site at these all these 99, 98 nuclear plants we have around the country. France will take that spent nuclear fuel and they'll take it to a place called La Hague, which is in France, and reprocess 96% of it. Oh my gosh. And then the spent nuclear fuel, what we call what's left, what's called fission products. That sounds renewable to me. Well, yeah, yeah that 96%, <laughs> one, 100%. Right. In fact, when a hundred percent of that spent nuclear fuel is reprocessed. It can be is renewable mm-hmm. because the ninety six percent goes right back to the nuclear plants, and then that other forty percent. I just had a guest on who can use that four percent. The fission products they call it's just it's basically every isotope you can imagine. Um, you can actually put that in things like a battery. <laughs> Wow. And encase it, oh you know, yeah, where, yeah. where it's not, you know, dangerous to people. But turn the, use that for useful products. So almost 100% of the of the depleted fuel rods can be reused, and we need to be doing that here. Do, do you think that? I mean, I, when I think about the Catawba nuclear plant, which is on the Catawba River, I mean, I'm, you know, we're looking at the, uh, your your home as uh, electric light. You're, if you plugged in your Tesla. That's all nuclear, right? So the power in your home is nuclear. Uh, and it just seems to me like uh, when I think of nuclear, and unfortunately, I think when a lot of people think of nuclear, <laughs> there's a couple things that come to mind. First, Three Mile Island. Yeah. Second and biggest, Chernobyl. And then Fukushima. So every 20 years, there's something bad that happens, and it may, they make movies out of it. And so all of a sudden, everyone has this great fear of this nuclear um, holocaust or something like that. And, I, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me, for the first time ever, shouldn't we be following the French model? Because isn't that carbon-free? Isn't it clean? Yeah, it is. And, you know, I think with this whole stigma about uh, accidents at nuclear plants, it really happened in 1979. I did, in 2019, I did a, I guess it was a a 40-year retrospective on uh, two things. (laughs) Three Mile Island 
and the China syndrome both came out within like two months of each other. Unbelievable. That, and, I do remember that now. Okay. Yep, yep. And so you had a movie, which, you know, and, and the crazy thing about it was the accident that's portrayed in the China syndrome is almost the exact same thing that happened at Three Mile Island. Right. I think some of the, the gauges weren't reading correctly and then they overcompensated and then they had a they had an accident. But here's the thing, you know, Three Mile, think, people think that Three Mile Island is just some just wasteland or something. Right. It's in Pennsylvania, I believe. It's in right? Pennsylvania. They continued to run the other unit until 2019. <laughs> you know, people wow. went and worked at Three Mile Island until three years ago. Okay. You know, when they finally right. shut down the other unit. Uh, I think they shut that down prematurely as well. That unit could have continued to run. Wow, that's um, amazing. But if you shut down just a couple of our nuclear units... Ed McGinnis, who's the was the head of nuclear, uh, spent time under the Trump administration. He's actually got that venture I was talking about that can do something with the fission products. Mm-hmm. Of the, mm-hmm. he, no, I'm sorry. He's got the the he's working on trying to do nuclear recycling uh, as a private company in the United okay, States. Okay, understood. So Ed's going on to do that, but he spit out a statistic one time that said that look, you shut down two or three or four nuclear plants, you've basically offset all of the gains that solar has made in the last 20 years, which is essentially all of it, as you saw. Well, it seems like, and and, and, and I, I just in doing some research before we started the podcast, I was looking, you know, when we talk about windmills, we talk about solar, all these uh, parts that we have to bring in from China and all over the world. And I did some research and I found that uh, about four hours east of here in Wilmington, Yeah. General Electric and Hitachi um, have some kind of partnership where they're producing something called SMRs. Um, do you know much about these are small modular reactors where they're actually, they put them together and then they place them somewhere and, and, and 300 megawatts. Do you know any, uh, very yeah, much about these? It's, it's, I'm a big fan of this. And, and the Department of Energy, even under Trump, Ed McGinnis mm-hmm, Ed, mm-hmm. under Trump was a big fan of this. I know I'm sure that the Biden people are big fans of this too. This may be the way forward. So guys, what it is, is instead of doing a thousand megawatt reactor. Because that's billions and billions of dollars, and right? And it's just, it, it's frankly almost untenable. And the reason why is not because Americans just don't have the, the grit anymore. It's because we just don't build 30 nuclear plants at one time anymore, right? And so imagine if you, uh, you know, imagine if you only built one Ford Mustang a year, right? Like that'd be a really expensive yeah, Ford exactly. Mustang. The problem is, is that you've got the, the uh, there's a facility mark in Georgia called uh, Vogel. And I've heard of that. Vogel, a Southern company is building it. Okay. And they're building two more units. I think there's maybe, uh, I think it's Vogel three and four. And they built two, so they have two units there and they're building two more nuclear units there. And it's, you know, it's been expensive because they're the only company building a nuclear plant. They're the only one who has done it in 30 years. And so it's just expensive and it's taking time. Cost overruns, everything else. It's just tough. It's just tough. And, but but a small module, excuse me, a small modular reactor, I think would be a lot more controlled cost-wise. You build it in a factory, uh, it's smaller, you can kind of daisy chain them together. It's just easier in this climate to, to build something like that. Now, you mentioned Wilmington. There's a company out of Oregon called New Scale. And New Scale also has an office right up the street here in Charlotte. Okay. 
they already got a nuclear permit, I want to say in 2020. And so they are basically cleared by the NRC who regulates uh-huh. nuclear to go ahead and build that facility, to, build, to, to put a SMR into service. And I think they're working with a company called UAMPS and are talking about building a facility in Utah. And uh, I know G. Hitachi, that was actually a surprise to me, Mark. I didn't know they also were working on that as well. But there are a couple of companies out there who have great SMR right. designs. And so just more of the merrier. You know, it's interesting because when I first heard that, I thought, that's kind of weird. You, they're building a nuclear plant inside a factory. And then they, what, do they took it on trucks to, to, yeah. to a piece of land that's well, only the size of a football field. But... Um, um, I talked to a couple of energy guys and they said, hey, Mark, picture this. Do you know back in the 1950s, they put a nuclear rack reactor inside a submarine? Yeah. And that's a little bit what this is like. And I don't ever remember hearing, of course, maybe they did have a problem and we just never heard about it, which wouldn't surprise me with the, the government. However, um, we've got nuclear aircraft carriers. We have all kinds of nuclear in our um, in our military. And so it's it, it, it seems like so many things begin in the military and then we like the jeep <laughs> you yeah, think of all these things that started in the military and next thing you know um ge hitachi right here in our home state of north carolina is building these reactors yeah and, and I, I meant to send i uh i i, I reached out to ge hitachi i kind of wanted to find out where they were on their permitting look this stuff takes a long time i can imagine to, to permit i think they're on their second of five permits as a uh, new scale of course has their permit already and so i think what i heard from this g hitachi model is maybe we would start seeing some of the first ones in service in the early 2030s i know that seems like forever but eight years in new right. is tomorrow is that yeah right right well i mean if if as we shut coal plants down uh which is great you know it's not great for the the miners in west virginia but it's great for the atmosphere well, they're we, fracking now okay well <laughs> they're, they're they're doing something thank yeah. goodness and, and natural gas seems like it's very clean but the thing is when i when i focus on nuclear it seems like there is no footprint of carbon um and if these are about the size of a football field instead of the, your typical nuclear plant which seems to be square miles couldn't you just shut down a coal plant and bring in this this reactor and put it on the same property and you know it just seems like it would be a turnkey kind of thing uh produces 300 megawatts what am I missing? Uh, why is the administration not embracing nuclear more? I think they need to be embracing all of it. Okay. And, uh, like a portfolio. Yeah, I mean, they, and it's, it's interesting. I mentioned carbon capture. Mm-hmm. They replaced uh, Steve Winberg, who I've actually had on the show, who was the head of Fossil under Trump. Uh, they replaced it with, I can't remember her name, but she's a big carbon capture professor. And so uh-huh. it was interesting. I, I thought it was interesting that the, they replaced the fossil person with someone who's into carbon capture. So at least there's someone who kind of speaks my language. You're right. I, I think that what you're going to see, Mark, is repurposing a lot of the land that was already built for coal plants. It'd be nice to just basically have them come in and, you know, we see a lot of coal to gas retrofits. I just saw that. So I grew up in Asheville and yeah, the, they've the, done that the, there. the plant that was literally uh, about three miles from my house um, was, you know, it was a coal plant my entire childhood and they just switched it over to natural gas and it's clean now. So it's kind of like, wow, that's great. Um, I didn't realize you could do that. Well, it wasn't clean enough, I guess, for the people who were 
protesting Duke Energy in Asheville yesterday. That was pretty. Well, um, I don't know if you saw that story. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't, it. but it doesn't surprise me a bit. <laughs> I think they were. It was this article right here. They were. Um, they were upset. I think about. Well, they said that. Duke wasn't doing enough for solar. I think that that's kind of a pretty wild statement considering that North Carolina, again, has the third most solar in the whole country behind maybe what Arizona and oh, California. Amazing. I think they were upset that um, they weren't buying rooftop solar back. You. Does that make sense? It does make sense. But I think, you know, when they're making comments like, what's in this... Uh, Duke wants to block the sun. <laughs> We're facing the end of the world. This sounds very much like the rhetoric that we usually hear from the extremes, and really the extremes on the left and the right. Sometimes they're identical. They're just extremes. And shouldn't we, and that's why I was thinking a portfolio like you're talking about is so much better. Why are we just going solar and wind? Or, you know, the other side might say, we just need coal. I mean, it seems to <laughs> me like we need to have a portfolio that includes all of this. Um, so, you know, that, that uh, it all seems to make sense to me, but I I'm not sure we've got we're going in the right direction uh, when Governor Cooper is telling us we need to have wind farms offshore. Um, uh, I guess uh, off the shore of the Outer Banks. Does he know we get hurricanes? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'll, 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 I'll speak to that. Um, I got to visit. <laughs> this is this is me talking. This this is the fun part of doing this podcast. Is I talked my way on. As a member of the media, I guess you consider me legitimate media, but I got to be on a media junket uh -huh. last June, June of 2021, yeah. uh, offshore Virginia Beach, where Dominion is building, is planning to build an offshore wind okay. farm. Got to go see those turbines. And it, it, the guy who was the pilot of the boat was great because he put us right underneath that those blades wow, and everyone's okay. getting vertigo and everything. Right. So he, he knew how to make an impression. Uh, so, so what's going on there, uh, Mark, is <laughs> the uh, Bureau of Land Management, they have an ocean arm. They will do offshore leases, kind of like mm -hmm. they do for offshore oil and gas. Yeah. They'll do it for wind. Is and that they've right? Kind of, they've kind of specced out what's the best areas for wind. And they'll lease, they'll, they'll do, okay. um, what do you call it, uh, auctions for these sites and so you're starting to see you're going to start to see over the next decade a lot of offshore wind okay. because it's been leased off as now, a part of a portfolio that's of different right. energy sources right? and, and we're talking big I mean the, the, yeah. the Dominion it, on its own I think would be I think the 20th largest power plant in the country those wind for those wind turbines together now you did mention the hurricane stuff they've brought all that into consideration they i think they even have a technology where they will turn the wind turbine sideways uh -oh. you know what that <laughs> does into not, the wind that doesn't surprise me i'm wondering if elon musk is behind it well <laughs> that sounds like something he could people. come up with yeah very smart people yeah so they, they've got ways to make it hurricane proof or whatever's going to come at them are they better I mean, that's right yeah. you don't want to you don't want to see that visual um Hey, listen, Jay, I see on your shelf that you wrote a book. Um, can you tell us about that a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I wrote a book. It, 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 this was, it was, um, 
in 2021, uh, Duke Energy, I, I was a contractor and uh, I think this was during COVID, Mark, and I basically got a note saying, your supervisors are extending you for year four. The upper management wants to start cutting contractor heads. So it was a heartbreaker. And I was out of, I was, I was looking for work for about a month, a couple months. And uh, I said, you know what? I've had interesting experiences, especially with work. And, Sounds uh, like it. <laughs> and, call, and so I called it, I just want to work in energy. And it was really my experiences working in coal and gas and the utilities and everything. And uh, it's funny. You work for some smaller companies. I'm sure you can relate. Uh, they sometimes aren't always on the up and up. So it's a lot of boss from hell, glassdoor.com sure, kind of sure. stories. Uh, I'll never be able to release it like on Amazon because I'll probably get sued. But uh, for me, it was very cathartic to kind of write about some of these experiences that maybe went a little bit sideways. Um, and, and it also was a way to kind of reflect back on on all the different places that I've worked and all the different sectors. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So, so you've got a, you have a, a portfolio of experience as well. It sounds like I'd hurt, I hope to not work for as many places in the last twenty years as I will in the next. That's well, for sure. Jay, let me ask you something. Let me pretend. Let's pretend right now that I've got a magic wand in my hand and yeah. I just waved it. And uh, Joe Biden is sitting in that chair, and next to him is Governor Roy Cooper. <laughs> and they are only going to give you about a minute to convince them. Um, uh, how how would you change uh, the energy? Uh, the way energy is being uh, produced and how would you clean up our air right now? Yeah, yeah. To the extent that a president can do anything, I think that, you know, uh, definitely right now with the oil and gas stuff going on, uh, there needs to be clear, you need to stop making fossil an inner an enemy i think right that they, they talk a lot about there being a lot of oil and gas leases out there and stuff but they're not leasing much new land and and also look uh a lot of these companies that are wildcatting and everything it's still a lot of small companies you know actually doing things like that they go to banks and banks are snake bit about this idea of producing more fossil fuel there's just not a lot okay. of uh very clear and positive signals that getting into the oil and gas business is going to be there for them. I think we hear a lot about ESG. I was going to mention right. that. So it seems like that might be affecting a lot of this. So so it's almost like this, This uh, I guess this anti-fossil fuels has sunk down into so many different parts of the economy that there's a lot of things keeping uh, oil and gas from being produced. Uh, I mean, what was it, five years ago or maybe less that we were the largest producer of... Net, ex- net exporter. Yeah, net exporter of oil and, and gas. And in, in, the, in the entire world for the first time in, I don't know, 70 years or something. And then poof, it goes away. And you think, well, how did that happen so quickly? Yeah. Um, well, and, I think it, I think it's politics. Right. right. Um, but, but look, it's weird that we went to Saudi Arabia, you know, when they should have gone to Midland, Texas. Yeah. The Permian Basin. I mean, isn't there enough oil and gas under there in, in Texas and New Mexico to power the world for 100 years? There <laughs> is. And look, I, I know people think that there's just no environmental regulations in oil and gas, but there's definitely more than there are in Saudi Arabia. That's for sure. And, you know, if you're going to get your you're getting oil is oil, gas is gas. You're going to get it from somewhere. Right. Can, I think Europe has shown that you can't just easily 
turn it off, right? Right. And so why not do it as cleanly and as environmentally uh, responsibly as possible? And that's here. Like get it I'm from sorry. Midland, Texas instead of uh, the UAE. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. I mean, there's, <laughs> yeah, it, it, there's this weird idea that somehow not doing it here makes you an environmental, uh, you know, hero. And it, it smacks of virtue signaling, but <laughs> yeah, well, there's what a lot of you? NIMBY issues. And on my back. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think that kind of gets into climate justice and, and all that. Yes, I, I am. I am becoming more and more aware of this this climate justice <laughs> movement uh, as I am running for this office here in Southwest and Central Charlotte. So um, this is really, really interesting. So uh, I really, really appreciate your time. What am I? Uh, I I'm thinking that that we've got. You know, uh, they keep telling us we only have a few years left before the Earth explodes, or you know, all of these things. Are we okay? Are we good? because everybody's really? I mean, it's really hot outside right now. Yeah, Jay. it's only it's the only planet <laughs> we've got. And look, I say like, look, it's one Gaia. Right, yeah, yeah. and so I'm always wondering why there isn't a big, bigger kerfuffle about carbon emissions in China, for instance. Isn't it when, pretty bad there in India? Probably. Well, they're kind of they're kind of, Amer- they're kind of the world's factory, right? Yeah, right. Um, but look, America, United States has net net dropped its carbon emissions considerably since 2005, and you know we've done our part. I mean, just think these things like when you're the, the the portfolio of coal in the United States when I got really rolling in this around 2007 mm-hmm. was about 50 percent, and you saw these numbers right here. It's now down to 22, and Good a lot of that you. has been offset by natural gas, which has gone all the way up to to 38, 40 percent. In the United States, that's reduced carbon, more efficient cars. Uh, I'd hopefully like to see a lot more nuclear. Uh, Yeah, you've got renewables coming on. I mean, twenty percent can't 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 knock it. All of that is helping to reduce our carbon emissions, and of course, you know the the the, the left, if you will, is always going to say that more needs to be done. You look at these people in Asheville; they're saying we're not doing anything, even though Duke is making it seventy percent. Reduction by 2030 carbon pledge. It's 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 going. I think in the right direction. But how much Mark. more can we squeeze when uh, Greta Thunberg needs to make a trip to Beijing? <laughs> Beijing and Delhi, I think, would be next on her agenda if she could go and see the pollution over there. So, anyway, Jay, I really appreciate your time today. This is fantastic, um, and uh, we're. I guess there's going to be a this this solution is going to be evolving over the next. A uh, few years, so uh, I really appreciate it, and you know, yeah. And, and Mark, I'll, I'll say this: you know, the reason I got involved in doing this podcast was there were a lot of podcasts called Solar Cast and a lot of you know Climate Cast mm-hmm. and all that. It's funny that in 750,000 podcasts were already on iTunes before I got started. Not a single one was called Energy Cast. And I think that what uh, I was trying yeah. to do is say, like, look, you need to give a fair shake to all the families of energy. It's or just not understand white, them, right? Right. It's not white hats and black hats. And a lot of times it's either... You know, it makes carbon, it's bad. It doesn't make carbon, it's good. I mean, nuclear is kind of in a weird spot, too. It doesn't seem to get the white hat it deserves. Mm -hmm. I've always said that, look, you know, of all these families of energy that we can come from, pull, you know, use, 
It does, it's not whether it makes carbon or not. All of these technologies have inherently negative drawbacks to right. them. And so, the, so one of the things that I've done a lot on the podcast is, pro, is, is profile companies that are finding ways to maybe take the inherently negative things with, you know, renewables, with the intermittency, mm-hmm. or, you know, say coal with the carbon and everything, and, and they have a solution for maybe mitigating that. And so when you're able to kind of take all of the technologies helping these technologies, you redo the math, and mm-hmm. the portfolio seems a lot more exciting that and, way. And it seems to me that is the key word here. It's a portfolio. It's not one or the other. It's not all or nothing it's we gotta have a good mixture here yeah absolutely so jay thank you very much for your time and uh we really appreciate it you bet thank you mark